Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. Sydney FC conclude their venture into Asia as they fall just short of qualification to the final of the AFC Women's Club Championship. Holly McNamara shows why she is one of the most promising youth players in the country as City edged the Wanderers in a seven-goal thriller. Susan Fongsong Cam comes up clutch again for Perth Glory as they go 4-4. Four for four. Macy Fraser scores a hell of a free kick for the Knicks. Victory put the Jets to the sword without their homecoming hero, and the Mariners can only manage a point off their bye last week. We'll talk Gareth McPherson's removal as Brisbane Raw head coach and the next potential destinations for Matilda Katrina Gurry. Hello, Paletti. Good evening. Thank you for joining us, Christian. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me, Lockie. And Chris McPherson, hello. Hey, Lockie. Good to be here. All right, we'll start in Asia and with the AFC Women's Club Championship. Uh, Sydney finished second is their group uh, in their group, as I mentioned, and will unfortunately miss out on the next round. They got their first win against Iranian side Banka Toon 3-0. And as Paletti, since we last spoke, they defeated local Uzbekistani champions Nasaf Kashi 2-1 before going down to Incheon Steel Red Angels from South Korea 3-0 on the final match day. A draw would have been good enough for the Sky Blues against Incheon, but they were beaten relatively comprehensively on Sunday night. It was a tight affair early as it kind of had this final sort of atmosphere about it with the winner going through. They were down 1-0. They had a penalty shout that was waved away just after halftime. I'm not sure if any of you guys saw a replay of this. My gut says Princess Sabini probably wasn't fouled. Uh, she's running kind of square to the, as the goalkeeper sticks her leg out. Um, and, you know, my thought was, you know how you, if your ankle taps someone, one foot kind of gets caught behind the other and then they trip over. Princess Sabini was caught kind of on a square angle where you would have expected that to happen, but instead she kind of fell forward. So hard to tell with the, the one angle we were provided on the YouTube stream, but my gut says no. But yeah, then Red Angel score a second off the corner and a really good long-range effort to make it three as well. And Sydney were well and truly beaten by then. Plenty, they fell just short, but it's an incredible experience for these players to be playing continental football for Sydney. And it only increases the excitement for the Women's Champions League that will begin next year. It it absolutely does. And honestly, I couldn't be any prouder of the way the Sydney FC held themselves throughout these three games. You know, not having... You know, their superstar in Courtney Vine available. And honestly, I don't think she'd have made too much of a difference to the way that this tournament turned out. Every single player that took the pitch for the Sky Blues held their own, looked looked as you know good as they ever would. And I honestly just can't describe how well they performed enough throughout the opening two games. And even then in the third game, they still performed quite well. They were just not the better side on the day. And, you know, in one-off football, that happened. Chris, what was your what take on the tournament? Yeah, look, I think it was really successful in terms of a foray into Asia. It sets a good platform for the women as we uh, look towards the next steps of the uh, Asian leagues. Um, Great performances, as Paletti touched on, in terms of how Sydney executed themselves. Some really promising signs, and I think they're going to be better for the run when they come back uh, to resume their A-League women's campaign. So really excited to see uh, what the next steps are. There was a few question marks over the execution from an AFC point of view of the tournament and uh, some of the availability, which I know we'll get onto, and maybe even the spelling of some of the people working for the uh, the, the live uh, broadcast p- partners. Yeah, so an extremely disappointing part of this tournament was the horrifically low broadcast standards. 
the games were live streamed on YouTube on the Uzbekistan FA YouTube channel, which you can kind of understand if it's this one-off tournament being on YouTube isn't the end of the world in itself. But a lot of the first game, as we touched on last week, Pauletti was completely unwatchable due to the connection or stuttering or whatever was going on. You know, in the last game with the Red Angels, they spelt Sydney wrong. They spelled it with an I instead of a Y. Like these, these things are just more than anything feel indicative of, of how the women's game is perhaps being treated in Asia. And, you know, Christian, if the AFC are getting real about wanting to grow the women's game in this area of the world, then these kind of things are just unacceptable for the premier women's football competition. Yeah, I mean, you just said it there yourself. I think they're not as serious, obviously. Um, you know, if they're not putting that much effort, you know, to, I guess, grow the game as they are with the men, you know. Um, I know, obviously, they're in, you know, the early parts of, you know, sort of establishing the women's game in Asia. Obviously, it's still, you know, relatively new in that aspect. But, I mean, those sort of fundamentals, like you said about, you know, the live streaming, et cetera, um, those kind of mistakes there, I mean, they're pretty much, you know, unforgivable, really. I mean, I guess it all comes down to respect at the end of the day. I mean, if you really care about the product, then, you know, these mistakes and, you know, these things just shouldn't be happening really at the end of the day. Of course, we didn't even mention the 10-minute delay in the second game because a light tower went out. That does happen in Australia, to be fair, so we won't go too hard on that. I'll defend them on this. We can't exactly talk about delays of games due to <laughs> equipment issues. I remember I remember watching uh, Sydney FC take on the Ollie Roos uh, once upon a time at, uh, at Cogra. It was, I believe it was Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. And the sprinklers went off two minutes after kickoff and the game had to be paused while the sprinklers uh, were dealt with. So... <laughs> I'll give them a break on that, but you know the the broadcast issues are ridiculous. As someone who has done live stream broadcasting of sports myself, single camera setup, it's not that hard once you know what you're doing. And if you're bringing in first timers to do this, then as Christian touched on, what does that say? I know that the AFC are investing quite heavily in women's football. I was at uh, the Football New South Wales Coaches Conference over the weekend um, on the Sunday. It was a two-day press conference. I wasn't quite able to make the Saturday. They had the head of women's uh, football for the AFC, Lily By there. Uh, she did a fantastic job with her uh, keynote speeches. It's very clear that women's football is growing in Asia. It's investing in Asia. But this is a precursor to the Women's Champions League that's supposed to be coming in next year. And one of the big criticisms of the men's tournament, uh, at both AFC Cup and Champions League level are the incredibly strict standards that the AFC has around signage, around sponsorship, around broadcast standards, around everything that comes into it. Like they wanted to put tape on the toilet seat uh, after Sydney FC won and they were going to parade it around two days later because it had a non-approved sponsors logo on it. I believe they ended up not doing that. But like that's the strictness of the AFC standards for the men's competition. Why were those standards not applied here? I think Paletti has put their hand up to be involved in running the broadcast of the AFC Women's Champions League uh, yes, next pick year. Pick me, pick me. Absolutely. Pay me, pay me. <laughs> oh, no, no, just love, just love. In all honesty, that's what we need now. It's This is one and done, but we need to see a leap forward. We can't throw again too many stones. We've seen Paramount. I've been involved in calling a game with Paramount for the A-League women's, where we lost 25 minutes of footage. 
which we padded for five minutes and then we went to replays. Fortunately, there had been four goals in the first 20 minutes for us to loop for the next 25 till they figured out what Telstra had done. There are some outside influences that do impact this. But that said, we can't have that when it's going to be a continental pinnacle moving forward with that Champions League name and badge that, as Paletti touched on, is such a brand, not just on our continent, but also in Europe. It, it's all tied in. That Champions League brand is the elite of the elite, and that's the way it needs to be treated, whether it's men's or women's football. We need to be treating it as such. We need to have quality commentary, quality footage, and we've seen the talent that's on display, predominantly the top three sides, obviously the two sides that have gone through to the final uh, in terms of Uruwa and um, he, the, the Steel Red Angels. Also, what the Australian sides can bring as well. Between those three continents alone, we could have a really red-hot competition. There's some countries that are involved in Asia we know is going to be a real challenge, but there's going to be a real talent pool and it needs to be treated as such. And as we've said, I think ad nauseum now, it needs to be stepped up and I just hope they heed that and I hope that it is when we come around to the Champions League, first edition of the AFC Women's Champions League and they set the platform high. One final tidbit from this tournament that we didn't touch on last time, Pauletti. Uh, Kaylee Talon-Henneker got called up for the AFC squad in the Sydney team to make her debut, but she had the slight issue of uh, a conflict with her HSC exams, which in the end, she took one at Dubai Airport on the way to the tournament. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It It is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, as someone who dropped out from doing their HSC, I can't imagine doing it, let alone doing it. <laughs> in an airport like i think it's just it shows the commitment like that when you get that phone call it's an opportunity you can't really turn down right and you have to move heaven and earth to to make it work and so well done honestly i say all right we'll move on to the Aga league then and the first game we'll touch on is melbourne city four western sydney wanderers three and christian holly mcnamara has been the talk of the town in the a-league women's for a couple of weeks now and she just went on to further her reputation in this game. She was outstanding for City. Yeah, I think we're going to have to make this a weekly tradition of, you know, setting aside a segment just for Holly McNamara, um, you know, because she was, you know, being, talk, being talked about, you know, basically every week since the season started. But no, I mean, obviously she deserves all the headlines and attention um, she's receiving because, you know, her hat-trick obviously, you know, further outlines, you know, her ruthlessness in front of goal and, you know, particularly the second goal, you know, showing the ability just to, you know, take your time, pick out the corner, you know, making it seem, make it seem, you know, so effortless, um, you know, with all the time in the world. So, um, yeah, we have to enjoy her, you know, playing here on our shores for as long as possible because I'm sure, you know, from next season there'll be a lot of suitors for her, you know, overseas. Um, I mean, as for the Matildas, I, th- I think Gustafsson, yeah, definitely has a decision to make. I think maybe not for the Olympic qualifiers next year, you know, given it might be a bit risky not having any experience within the squad as such. But, you know, I think it wouldn't be a bad shout. I know about you, Paletti, but calling her up for the friendlies against Canada, that might be worth, you know, looking into. You've got to remember she's she's coming back off an injury, which has ruled her out of the Asian Cup because um, she was set to feature in that um, until the injuries happened. And the other thing we've got to remember is that as not necessarily for the qualifiers, but for the Olympics itself. It's an 18-player squad. That's all that gets to go. We were, you know, because of COVID, they got extended to 20, but this time it's back to 18. You know, Tony's already going to have a hard time trimming down the 23 that he's got, let alone finding a way for Holly Mack to get in. And look, she might just play herself into the squad where it's like, you know, it's near impossible to drop her. But that being said, we also thought 
um, that there was an outside chance that you know someone like a Michelle Heyman had played her way into the World Cup squad, uh, especially given Australia's lack of depth in the striking department, and obviously that didn't happen. So I think she's just going to be a case of being the odd person out through no fault of her own, um, which is very unfortunate, barring injuries and touch wood that doesn't happen because we hate to see you know more and more players get injured, but. Holly Mack is definitely going to be one of the future stars for the Matildas uh, post the Olympics. I mean, based off form note, I mean, just say if she continues this, you know, right up until, you know, the Olympics, what does that say about the women's league if, if you know, she still can't get into that side? I think what it says is it's who's also there. And again, keeping in mind, it is that 18 player squad, right? So you're already more than likely, depending on form, depending on injury status, Missing the likes of a Courtney Vine, who's an absolute, you know, superstar for the Matildas. You know, uh, Amy Sayer might still miss out. Claire Wheeler might still miss out. You know, I mean, Kaya Simon probably won't be there either. But like, because you got to remember, you still got to have that balanced mix. I believe it, it would be very disappointing if we get to the end of the Olympics and Tony hasn't delivered a trophy for Football Australia, and this is going to be his last chance to do so under his current contract. Now, whether that's bronze, silver, or gold, I think is almost irrelevant. It just needs to be some kind of tangible silverware. It has to be a medal. For him to show, yeah, for him to show at the end of his tenure, assuming he doesn't get extended. We'll we'll bring it back to Melbourne City, and Chris, their perennial challenges in this league are City, and they look like they're just going to be in the mix again. Yeah, you certainly expect that they're going to be there when the whips are cracking. They've obviously got the ability to have built out a really strong squad that they continue on with, and you know, again, they just find ways to get it done. It's not always the prettiest, but they're continuing to build, continuing to be at the right end of the table. And I expect they'll be there when the, um, when the time counts and when we get towards finals. They're a side that knows how to put teams to the sword. Unfortunately, they shipped a couple of goals here, but I don't think there'll be any concerns really from a Melbourne City point of view because they know they've got the ability if they can see three goals to easily score four and they showed that on the weekend. Christian, what are your expectations for City? Where do they sit after four rounds? With the first four games, I mean... The attacking emphasis is there. I mean, you can see the talent obviously on display, but if you look at the defensive side of the game, I mean, conceding three goals against a wondrous side who, you know, up until that first goal from Sophie Harding, they looked pretty lifeless and they sort of allowed them, you know, even when they were full on up City, they allowed them to get back into the game. So I guess that's obviously one area where, you know, Dario Vitasic has to sort of look at, um, you know, to sort of just improve the defence in general, I guess. You know, let's be honest. I mean, this should have been a relatively comfortable win for City, given you know the amount of possession they had, the way they dominated. It should have been a pretty, you know, straightforward win to say the least. But credit to the Wanderers at the same time for you know hanging in there. But yeah, I mean, I think a grand final at this point, I'd be surprised if they didn't make that at a bare minimum. I think anything less, a semi final or less, would be that would shock me. Yeah, and those last two goals, well, were set piece uh, second phases as well, so. Obviously, that's to clean up, but, you know, as Chris said, and I'll throw another cliche at you off the back of last game, the best form of defense is a good offense. So if they can score more goals than the opposition can, they're going to win games of football. Um, after this game as well, Joey Lynch was reporting that due to ground availability issues, the Wanderers boss 
Robbie Hooker said he doesn't know where their round five game against Canberra United will be played next week with a real possibility of the fixture being postponed. Uh, Pletty, that might be an issue. Just a little bit. And uh, I'm trying not to come off the long run up here. I'm trying to contain myself. But this is just the latest in a long line of issues with the Wanderers and their women's program. Cat Smith was let go at the start of the season. This wasn't necessarily the Wanderers' fault, given that the ground in Bathurst wasn't up to standard, and I believe blame lies with the council for that one from, what I've, from what's been you know released about this incident. But how hard are the Wanderers trying to get another ground? Like, realistically speaking, I know that there's these minimum broadcast standards that have to be met, but are you telling me there's no ground available at all? in or around the Sydney area. I believe the Mariners are playing at home this weekend. You run it as a doubleheader there. Uh, let's look at some of the grounds off the top of my head. You've got Cogra, you've got you've got Leichhardt, you've got Campbelltown Stadium, which isn't being used now. That may have a slight issue because there was a concert there this last weekend, so the turf might need that time off to recover. Heading into, uh, heading into MacArthur and Victory, so it may actually not be available, but Campbelltown is an option. Parramatta Stadium, Penrith Stadium. Uh, I've said Lockhart Oval already. You've got, but you've got all these other grounds around Sydney that should be available. All right, we'll move on to the the only Saturday fixture: Perth Glory two, Adelaide United one. Um, Perth have had a really strong start to their season, but this was a real test of their medal against a resilient Adelaide side, particularly when they went one nil down, but. We see the quality that Perth Glory have up front. Don't know how Millie Farrow didn't score in this game. Uh, Grace Jarley put the first one in to make it one all. But Susan Fong's on cam as well. Is, seems to be the exclamation point on all these Perth Glory performances so far. She always seems to come up clutch when the Glory need her. And so far it's working pretty well. The first Perth Glory starting four for four. Yeah, I thought this was a very good performance by Perth. Um probably a little bit tougher than it needed to be. And I think that shows the resilience of Adelaide, despite the fact that they're sitting 11th on the ladder and only 11th because of goal differential. I think that, you know, it's starting to click for Adelaide. They're starting to get it right. And a lot of problems that have been identified, you know, from the start of the season is their defense. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like Millie Farris should have scored that goal. The fact that, and I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but the fact that, you know, she didn't rip that first time into the top corner almost. It just didn't feel right. And I think as soon as you realised she wasn't going to shoot, you just knew that that ball was going to be held up. Well, even Grace Jarley beforehand, she should have put it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, some good goalkeeping. If you can if you can force a defender, if you can force the attacker to, you know, second-guess their shot when you've absolutely fumbled your lines, then you're doing a good job. Um, yeah, good recovery. And you know, you mentioned you mentioned Susan Fong Song Cam, uh, second on the Golden Boot or tied second uh, with I believe it's Grace Jale, Rihanna Polatina, and Vesna Milivojevic. Uh, Holly Mack is on four goals and leading the Golden Boot race. Um, I reckon there's a good chance that Susan Fong Song Cam is going to take it out if she keeps going at this cliff. Like she's she's going just under a goal a game, and uh, Holly Mack can't keep this up forever, right? <laughs> And Chris, it's not just the goals that she's scoring, but they've been so important seemingly every single time. Like she's coming up in the absolute clutch moments. 
she she's been clutch for them for some time. Even last year in a couple of key games, she was really strong at the, those key points. She just seemed to turn it up when there was challenges happening, and that's where she she steps to the fore. And having Jale there alongside her has really taken it to another level. I feel, and it's taken Perth to another level, which is one with a bullet at the top of the ladder. And Paletti, they are four from four. They've played three games at home, but you know the test last week against Canberra away, they won that fixture. They well and truly established themselves now as as a leader of the league. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if I think back to the men's competition a couple of years ago, uh, it was the Perth Glory men's who you know had all these games in hand and you know the run-ins at home. And it was okay. Well, if they can just get home and bank some points, you know they're going to make the six. They're going to make the six. And then they weren't able to do it. And I know it's been a run of fixtures at home early, and they've got. Another one coming up on the weekend against the very informed Melbourne victory who we're going to talk about. If they can continue to bank points like this at home in the early parts of the in the early part of the season while you know they don't have to do too much traveling, you know when they've got that two weeks on the road, three weeks on the road sort of situation, they can you know they can kind of okay drop a couple of points here and a draw here instead of a win, and you know they're still putting themselves into a very good position to make the finals. And so I yes, it's been at home, but you can only you you can only win where you're scheduled to play and face who's in front of you. And Perth Glory are doing that uh, with flying colours at the moment. In terms of Adelaide, just quickly, um, you know, and Tonus has mentioned, you know, for the past couple of weeks, obviously with the defence, um Paletti, you touched on it as well, how, you know, they've struggled, obviously, in that department. Do you think, you know, are they capable of, I guess, you know, fixing that aspect up or do you reckon we'll just only get worse from here? I think it depends on how far away the, uh, how far away their returning players are. Um, and I, I'm not too familiar with the ins and outs of Adelaide's squads. There's probably a question for Antonis um, who probably knows a lot more than I do is how far away are they and how easy is it going to be to slot them back into the lineup? And, you know, can Adrian Stenter essentially rebuild chemistry on the fly in terms of their playing style, in terms of how the team interacts with each other. If he can do that, then they should be fine and have the chance of a late season rebound. If they don't, then uh, it's going to be a long season for Adelaide. Christian, along with the glory, Wellington Phoenix are putting their hands up as perhaps one of the surprise packages to start the season. They won their game three goals to one against Western United. Great win for them, headlined by an absolute thunderbolt of a free kick from Macy Fraser. Yeah, I mean, once again, we're talking about how, you know, we're blown away by the Phoenix and, you know, their impressive performances, which, you know, like I mentioned last week, we saw glimpses of it last season. But, you know, this squad seems to have a different gear that they can go to. And, you know, we've already seen that, you know, with, um, you know, the way they've been able to, you know, control the games on their terms, I guess, you know, especially against West United, I thought, you know, it was no different. Although United missed that that big chance early on, Taranto, which should have been 1-0, um, she skied over the bar. But I think from there, I thought, you know, Wellington, once again, they were able to, you know, take the initiative and, you know, they weren't afraid to take risks. And in, in that aspect, I think that's the only way in which they can, you know, really cause some damage this season. They're not a team who can, you know, sort of sit back, soak up pressure, they're one of those teams who have to have that mentality of always going forward, you know, like I said, taking those risks, and they did that again. Obviously, from the first goal, scored from a set piece, bit of sloppy defending from a West United point of view. Um, we've seen that happen on a few occasions this season from them. But, yeah, obviously the main talking point, that, f- that incredible free kick from from Macy Fraser, and then, 
you know, obviously that's already a goal of a season contender. Um, yeah, but besides that, I mean, overall Fraser's game was pretty much flawless, I thought, throughout. I mean, you know, the ball to feet, you know, the ability um, to take the game on with her skill set, um, she's been impressive for me um, and a real standout. You know, second half, the own goal, obviously put the game to bed for the Phoenix, 3-0 up. And then, you know, once again, West United for me, they look a bit toothless in the sense that, I guess, you know, when the going gets tough and their backs are against the wall, they need more than just Chloe Legazzo to step up and, you know, take the game by the scruff of the neck. I mean, they've got the players. Like, you know, you've got Jacqueline Sawicki and Adriana um, Taranto, who I guess can be those type of players for them. But they just need more of that, I guess, personality and character. They're struggling a little bit. I don't think it's that they're toothless. I just think it's a long off-season. We, we saw Chloe Legazzo was injured. She missed out on the World Cup squad. She's she's getting, you know, she's back to what appears to be full fitness by the looks of things. So that's that's fantastic for, for her. I just think it's, I, I think it's one of those situations where it's going to take time. And it, like I'll throw a different question back at you. Is this a case of Mark Castro having stretched himself too thin? And that's why they're struggling. Well, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to blame the manager. I think Paletti, I just think it's somewhere in between the two. I don't know that they're toothless. They're certainly, on paper and ability-wise, they've got the prowess in front of goal. It's just not quite gelling. And, you know, we've seen a side in, if we transition to the A-League men's for a moment, that very much found their shooting prowess and their finishing prowess on the weekend in Sydney. I'm not suggesting they need to sack Mark Takasa. Don't go jump into conclusion. I think we've seen enough sack coaches in recent times. (laughs) But there's just something that needs to gel there. And, you know, I think, Western United has still got some ability to find that. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take. And they don't have, even though it is a longer season, they don't have forever to find that. And I want to be doing that very soon because they're starting to lose touch with some of those top sides. That said, I think we really need to focus on Wellington and how well they performed here. And just a couple of little pieces that I want to touch on. We talked in the preseason about teams using stadiums that are fit for purpose. Horirua Park, 1,900 capacity, 1,750, which is a good crowd, in there, it created an atmosphere which was phenomenal and it only got better as they as the Phoenix got up. And they're going to embrace that this year and they're going to use that stadium quite a bit. And it makes so much more sense than a 35,000-seat Sky Stadium. Great to see. It's going to create demand if they keep playing there. There's going to be people that will miss out and that's what we talked about in the preseason. It's great to see a team, and whether it's out of necessity that you know it's either one extreme or the other or not, hats off to them. They've moved it there. They've taken that there because they could have had 5,000 people at Sky Stadium and it wouldn't have felt a tenth of what that did. So that was amazing to see. The other thing, the real trophy that everyone wants, Wellington Phoenix are leading it. Can anyone tell me what it is? Oh, the the league championship, the double. The club championship. They're in front. Wellington Phoenix, they're flying. They're third in both leagues. They've only lost one game across the two leagues. So it's great to see Wellington really doing well. And as much as, you know, we love the Trans-Tasman rivalry, I think it's great to see in terms of them being there and hopefully... Both sides are there when the whips are cracking. Sorry, I'm just being told that they can't actually win the club championship due to being part of the Oceania Football Confederation. <laughs> no, they can win it. They just can't qualify for the world club championship. <laughs> they just get a fo- they get a photo of it. <laughs> Sorry, Christian, you were going to say something? No, I was just saying, can they win a trophy? I mean, we've been saying this, you know, there's been a few seasons where, um, you know, for the men in particular, we know the women have just been in here for a few seasons, but... You know, sometimes they're in and about, you know, the top six, they make finals and they sort of fall flat, you know. I mean, this season, I don't expect them to really 
you know, do any sort of damage, you know, at least after the semifinals, you know, et cetera. But I'm just saying, you know, is now sort of the time or, you know, in the near future where they really have to deliver and, you know, sort of win some silverware. I think for the women's, absolutely. I still have my doubts over the men's side. I think, you know, if that Wellington side goes away from home in the finals, how are they going to win that game? They can't just hold on for a draw, you know, so that changes things a little bit. But in the women's, absolutely. I think they're well-primed to go. Obviously, we've seen Melbourne City come out of the blocks hard and, and Melbourne victory finding form. But the Wellington Phoenix for the first four games of this season have been just as good as anyone. And I think they're right in with a shout. The question I have on that topic is, does the you know potential expansion or the expansion of the leagues and you know eventual inclusions of other New Zealand sides impact that the Wellington strength? And secondly, does Wellington, let's say they run third like the Newcastle Jets did a few years ago, Wellington hosting a grand final if the results end up going their way, how big would that be in terms of an advantage versus a disadvantage? Yeah, with with the Auckland club potentially coming in, I think it does make a huge difference. We see, uh, this is another men's example, but with the under-17 World Cup at the at the moment, the amount of New Zealand players that have come out of that Wellington Phoenix side, the list just goes on and on, right? So you'd imagine over the next few years, a lot of those numbers will go through Auckland instead of Wellington. Um, so I think that does make an absolute big difference. But yes, as you say, and play, I think you're going to jump on this, having a home final is such a big advantage for Wellington. Yeah, and I think we're going to learn a lot about where this Wellington side is actually uh, at over the next month of the season. I mean, they've got what is shaping up to be a top-of-the-table clash against the Perth Glory. They've got the Mariners next week. Uh, that's in Gosford. Then it's host the Glory. Uh, then it's host the Victory um, and travel to Adelaide. So couple of good squads in there. Mariners floating around a little bit. Adelaide, maybe they come good and that is a decent match. And so I think I think we'll learn a lot between now and the end of December uh, where they play Sydney as well on the 29th. So that'll tell us a lot about where they're at. In terms of hosting a home final, I mean, I don't want to say I'm too optimistic, uh, but I may or may not have started looking at flights to Wellington for that weekend last night. So... That's extremely optimistic. <laughs> Look, I think I think there is a legitimate chance that they're going to not only host a final, but that they're going to host the grand final if they keep playing like this. I think, and you touched on it, uh, you both touched on it with the expansion of the league. This almost seems like it was a make or break season for the Knicks. I know they played their first season exclusively in Australia, struggled to get crowds in New Zealand, struggled to you know play well on the pitch uh, when they returned. And now they're starting to look the goods and it's almost kind of like if they'd have gone through another season of not looking the goods as like, well, okay, what now sort of thing? Were they going to struggle to attract players? Was it going to be a case of New Zealand's best talent, you know, going up to Auckland? Hopefully we don't have to find out whether that's the case because the Knicks will keep on performing. And honestly, Wellington away for a grand final. Uh, that sounds great. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. We'll, we'll do a live episode from over there, Lockie. Let's go. Let's, yeah, live recording outside. I love it. I love that idea. <laughs> a legs of our own on tour. <laughs> All right. We'll move on to Melbourne victory for Newcastle Jets 4. And of course, the news before this game, Chris, was that Cass Davis, the record for the most consecutive games played, she hit the ball too hard last week. The volley, too much power. She got a toe infection. She was out. The woman of steel brought down by a toe. Um, I believe there was an NRL player who had an issue with his finger and just cut it off. I'm not saying that she should have, but you know, maybe it's an option. Um, 
you know, Angus Crichton, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, let's not delve into the uh, oval ball codes. Cass was clearly missed in this game. There was a big disconnect between the midfield and the defence, and that's the role that she's played for a number of years. But phenomenal to think 132 games consecutively since her debut 10 years ago. When you put that into perspective, I think the men's record somewhere around 98 games, which is only a few seasons. So we're looking at, you know, like three seasons versus three or four seasons versus 10 seasons from debut. It's not just a string of games either. It's from when she debuted. And to be fair, I probably need to take the blame here, Paletti, because we were doing maths at Campbelltown the other night about when game 150 in a row would be. (laughs) So maybe I've put the jinx on her, the commentator's curse. But look, Newcastle missed her sorely. They held Melbourne for a really good period here after conceding the opening goal. That was from a mistake from Izzy Nino. And I don't want to put too much on her because she's been a revelation in goal for Newcastle this year. She's been a much market improvement from some of the people that have been there before her. And so looking forward to seeing her bounce back from that. But Melbourne victory, once they got going in that second half, it was just foot to the floor. Those last three goals, admittedly the final one came from an own goal, but they were just far too classy for Newcastle. And Newcastle really needs the work to bridge that gap and they can't be so reliant on one player in terms of Cass Davis. Mm, I agree with you, Chris. Nino, I think she actually had good moments in this game as well, particularly the save on Aquino midway through the first was crucial to keep it at one at that point in time of the game. Christian, it, it was dominant from the victory. Yes, two goals, a bit of luck to go with them. But Rachel Lowe, her second goal was special as well. They seem firing now. Jeff Hopkins has got them going and now they just need to kick on and get, get some more results. Yeah, we said right from the start of the season that you know, we wouldn't be that shocked if this team needed a bit of time to, I guess, you know, put their foot down and, you know, start gaining some consistency, which I think they're slowly starting to do. I mean, you look at the bench, you've got, you know, Emily Gilnick, Ella Grady, players like that who can easily come in um, and make a difference. And, you know, there's that depth, you know, that Jeff Hopkins has obviously had for a few seasons now. I mean, even in terms of Newcastle, I mean, you can just tell they're missing. Obviously, another player they're missing was Melina Ayres. I mean, what can they do? I mean, they were pretty, I guess you could say, isolated for most of the match. I know victory were pretty much dominating for most of it. There was just no outlet really for the Jets. I'm pretty sure Chris will agree with that. But yeah, from a victory point of view, obviously, um, yeah, something to build on for Jeff Hopkins, um, another win under his belt. Um, but yeah, I mean, 4-0, obviously, a great result with a clean sheet at home. So yeah, they'll be looking to to build on that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right there, Christian. There, there were... Some struggles for outlet. I was quite impressed with the energy that Lara Gooch brought forward, but she was doing a lot on her own. And we've got to remember, she's very young. Like She's only just come through the academies, but she's one. If they can hang on to her, at, I think she turns 19 in February. Um, she could potentially be a good building block to learn from someone like Melina Ayres, but it was disappointing to see Melina Ayres miss the grudge match against her old side. Yeah, like certainly a few pieces there for the Jets to build on, but lots of positives for victory. And you've got to hope they use this as the momentum changer for them and you know, we talked about them trying to build and it might have taken them a little while to settle into it. Uh, Jeff Hopkins will be hoping that this is or, or ensuring that this is the step forward and they continue to find their form and take themselves back up to the top of the table where they see themselves belonging. All right, final game of the round now. Central Coast Mariners won, Brisbane Raw won. Uh, the Mariners were, of course, coming off a bye last week due to Sydney's uh, AFC commitments. And that perhaps did show a little bit. They took a little while to warm into this game. In the end, probably had the best, better of the chances, I thought. Uh, Batawea scoring a header off a corner, probably against the run of play for the opening goal. There was a penalty shout as well. I'm not sure, Paletti, if you saw this. 
Uh, Wergamal goes down. Ball clearly taken first. I'm not sure what your view on it was. I mean, ball taken first, yes, but at the end of the day, if there's still contact, there's still contact, right? Doesn't change the fact that you've still committed a foul, right? Like, for me, and I know this is a very... Uh, a lot of people disagree with the way I look at it, is that if you're giving it a foul on the halfway line, you're giving it, you should give it a foul in the box. And I know that's a very black and white way to look at it, but if you look at the laws of the game, penalty is given because of a foul committed in the box. So if it's a foul on the halfway line, it's a foul in the box. I don't care about this uh, because, you know, higher standards, because it has such an influence. Any referees are happy to correct me on that, then I'm more than happy to listen. I've got all the time in the world for the referees and, because they know a lot more about the laws of the game than I do. I totally agree with the, the idea that you know a, a situation in the penalty box is the same as a halfway line. But please do correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a difference between taking the player and the ball and then getting the ball, time passing, and you know, albeit a little bit of time, but then the player. Does, does that factor in at all? I mean, it probably should. But at the same time, if it's all in the one motion, if it's all in the one challenge, and that that's where I kind of, kind of agree with it. Like, I don't know. We, we could probably talk about this for half an hour and we still wouldn't come to a consensus on it, right? <laughs> well, Plenty, I know you weren't here for the last episode, but we had full consensus on all the refereeing decisions for the men's competition. Chris, Christian, uh, what are your votes on this one? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm with Paletti. It's, it's, it's not field position dependent. It's... A clip, you know, it's the decision that you make. Again, if the referees are out there and want to, you know, inform us differently, that that's the way. But it's just like, you know, if a player gets a red card in a semi-final, they know they miss the next week. If they get a red card during the season, they know they miss the next week. That's the way of the consistency of the game, and it should be the consistency of the game. The the players know where the eighteen-yard box is. It just shows var or no var. Like some decisions, they're just there's going to be a debate. You know, like Paletti said, you can go thirty minutes, you know, debating, you know, different possibilities. You know, sometimes VAR is good in some scenarios, but in others, you know, it's not as, you know, clear cut as, you know, some decisions aren't. I guess in this instance, you just got to go with the referee's decision. And I mean, some might not agree with it, but I mean, like I said, it's not, it's not clear cut. All right. Well, I'll concede defeat in that case, three against one. Yeah, Chris. I do want to touch on, and, and Paletti, you're probably in as good a position as anyone, how good it's been to see Roller Battle We are playing consistent minutes in the A-League women's this year. She got caught in that logjam at Sydney FC. I think maybe one start in the time she spent there. Great to see. She's really making that spot her own at Central Coast. And I just think she was far too talented. We've seen what she did in the NPL as well. Far too talented to be just in the NPL and maybe a bit of a rotation player at this level. Yeah, I mean, we saw it last season. uh, NPL top goal scorer was Roller Batawea for the 2022 season. Eventually gets signed by Sydney FC. It's coming off the bench. And it's a very odd way to be using a visa spot because Roller Battle is American. And so I thought the way that that was handled just wasn't the best for her. She comes in, has an absolutely fantastic NPL season again, moves on to the Mariners. Emily Husband, very familiar uh, with what Roller Battle can do, given that uh, Husband coached Battle at Sydney University. Can't help but draw parallels to the way that this season has gone as well, with the fact that. And PL New South Wales Golden Boot winner Ashley Crofts is still unsigned, still without a club, no inkling or anything. And there's clubs that could use, you know, 20 goal a season strikers at the moment, which is what uh, Ashley Crofts is. So 
I don't know. And I know that's a little bit of tangent from what you were getting on. But yeah, the roller battle, we're absolutely looking the goods at the Mariners. And it's nice to see her get that consistent game time under a coach that, you know, knows how to best utilize her. On, on that point, cough, cough, Gary Van Egmond, uh, you need a backup striker. All right. Well, uh, of course, that penalty that was given was saved by Jordan Silkwich, uh, which left the game at one all. So the points were shared on the Central Coast. Uh, but of course, Paletti, just before uh, we started recording, uh, we learnt that this was Gareth McPherson's last game in charge of the Brisbane Raw. I mean, this one really came out of the blue. And I I don't think, like many things in Australian football, I don't think we'll ever find out exactly what's happened. But a two-point-on-one record and sitting in the top four is enough to get you sacked these days. Oh, sorry, departing the club. There's going to be a lot of coaches that are, you know, sort of, sort of vibe uh, at the moment. Just because, well, if that's getting you moved on from clubs as two one-on-one and inside the top four, what coaches are safe at that point? Like, there's got to be something bigger at play here that hasn't been told by Brisbane in their in their statement. I hope they have another coach in charge. Otherwise, it seems like it's just a very easy way to derail a very good start to the season. In terms of coaches that are available, uh, I believe a cat S. No, that's too obvious. Uh, K. Smith is available uh, and looking for work. Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre move, isn't it? Like as you said, Paletti, where they sit on the table. But even more bizarre, I don't know if anyone's had time with the recency of it to digest some of the language that's come out of the statement from Kaz Patafter and Kaz, you know, an ex A League footballer in himself. And hats off to him for where he's ascended to and he's earned his way to that position at the top of Brisbane Raw at the moment. Roar are announcing the shock departure of head coach. But then there's other quotes that talk about the club's aiming for improvements across the board. Patafta confirmed McPherson's exit on Monday evening, making clear that high expectations for the club's women's team had not been met and a new head coach would be installed imminently. What were those expectations? Undefeated first four rounds? (laughs) So basically what we're saying is Alexa Parkas is the only man safe in the A-League women's or the A-League men's. Like this, This is ludicrous. Brisbane Raw, this is a massive improvement for where they've been in the last couple of seasons in their women's camp. Like I'm not sure what was expected as... Politi touched on, there's got to be something rotten beneath the surface. There's got to be some sort of personality clash or something major's gone on here. Before the season, though, like even I spoke to Zach Anderson, um, you know, doing that interview, and he even said, you know, the foundations, I guess the culture, you know, last season wasn't up to scratch. And, you know, he sat down, you know, with McPherson, um, you know, and the players to, you know, sort of set a bit of a plan to, you know, how to approach it you know, the areas to fix. And he said, yeah, it's been going really good so far. So from that sense, I mean, it's a bit shocking. Is it a cultural issue that McPherson sort of thought maybe this isn't for me? Because I can't see Brisbane Raw feeling the need to sack him unless McPherson's actually put his hand up to say that, you know, he doesn't want any part. I just can't see. I can't see what's happened there. Well, it'll be very interesting to follow the story as it develops and we'll see who the Brisbane Raw's new head coach is. Finally, uh, in the last little bit of news, uh, Matilda Katrina Gorry has announced that she's played her last game for Swedish side uh, Vitusho. I've definitely butchered that. Apologies there. But she said in her announcement, it's time to say goodbye and set off on a new adventure, which is an interesting terminology. Um 
Chris, as much as we would love to have Minnie back in the A-League on, on home soil, potentially with the Brisbane Raw, where she spent a lot of her time as a footballer, you get the feeling that after her performance in the World Cup, there'd be some uh, plenty of other European uh, clubs with a winter schedule that would be eyeing her services. There certainly would be. It's um, going to be interesting to see. There's a number of those European leagues that will be clambering for her services. But I'm just going to go absolutely tinfoil hat here and connect these last two stories and say that Katrina Gorry is going to be installed as player manager of Brisbane <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in, in the coming days. Wouldn't that be a story? Um, Jeez. Surely, surely it's just a coincidence, but that, that would be amazing. That's why Gareth McPherson's been moved out. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> that would be spectacular. I was going to say, why would, why would Gorry want to go to Brisbane now? She'd be thinking, I mean, the club's a shambles as it is. I mean... Maybe she knew. Maybe she got the tip. Maybe they signed her first. Let's, can we check the dates on the paperwork when it comes through? Any tips from you, Christian, where she might go? I wouldn't be surprised if she does come back to Australia. I wouldn't. I mean, how old is she now, Pauletti? 31. She's, she's got 31. a young child. That being said, WSL2 maybe? Yeah. I mean, she's fallen back in love in the ga- with the game. Um, she said that. Obviously, she has she has a kid now. Um, I don't think a show would be such a bad move, to be honest. I mean, settle back in Australia. It just depends on her ambitions and what she wants to do, really. It's up to her, obviously. Can I just say, wherever she ends up, whatever they do, they can't nominate her for any awards because I'm not sure if you saw last month, she got nominated for Swedish Citizen of the Year. <laughs> and this is how she's repaid the, the wonderful country of Sweden is by, is by getting on the first plane out of there. So I don't know whether maybe she missed out. She was on the shortlist. Maybe she didn't win and that's the way of responding. But... Um, I've got a lot of conspiracies tonight, boys. I'm not sure what's happening. You are. You well and truly have your hat on. Maybe she booked the plane. She booked the plane before she she received the reward. She didn't know. She's, she's just getting in early to be on the A leagues of our own grand final show in Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> before she goes off to play a coach in the final. Why not Wellington Brisbane? Okay, well, we I think we have to stop there. We're getting way too far ahead of ourselves now. But one thing is for certain is that we would love to have another Matilda back on home soil playing in the A-League. That would be a great thing. But that will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast. Thank you guys very much for joining me, Paletti. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Chris McPherson. Thanks, Lockie. And Christian Montigan. Thanks, Lockie. We'll be back on Friday for a Socceroos special. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Can everyone tell that I'm getting sleep deprived?